Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Today we're going to be going through the post-trade deadline rises and fallers. Let's go! Jordan, open! Chicago with the lead! Bryant, to Jack! Not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. LeBron James with no record for human life! He's G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Casey. You can find me on Twitter at Ball Boys Fantasy. Today, we're going to be going through the uh, trade deadline or the post-trade deadline, rises and fallers. All the players that, after the trade deadline passes, either had a huge increase into their production or fell off a cliff and dropped off. And trying to decipher which one of these are real and use that to project what's going to happen into next season and the seasons following. So, uh, this will be our last kind of uh, podcast recapping the season of 2022-2023. Uh, before next week, we'll start to go into our top 100 Dynasty Rankings series. And also, in amongst that, we'll also be talking about the draft class for 2023, our rookie rankings, our mock drafts, big boards, and then also talking about them in a fantasy basketball sense. So... Make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Let us know down in the comments below on YouTube um, if you have any questions in terms of the draft class coming up or if you have any dynasty questions in the comments below. Uh, but we'll start off by doing our top 25 and we're going to do that in little stages as we go along. But without any further mucking around, we're going to go through the top uh, I've got about six players here that I want to discuss in terms of breakouts and then five players that I want to talk about in terms of players that fell off after the trade deadline. Uh, some of these guys moved teams. Some of these guys had teammates move teams. Some of them are young players trying uh, that are just trying to get better in the second half of the year. So let's get stuck into it. We'll go into the first player here, which is a big obvious one. And that is Mikhail Bridges. Now, Mikhail Bridges obviously was traded from Phoenix over to Brooklyn. And he was a good fantasy player before doing that, ranking 36 overall uh, over in Phoenix. But then when was traded over to the Brooklyn Nets, saw a massive increase. I mean, he, he saw a, a rounds increase up to 25th uh, per game, but he did it in a, in a slightly different way. So the biggest difference here is the fact that he's gone from 17.2 points per game up to a huge 20 
25.9 points per game. A massive increase in his usage. He's also seen a massive increase in his free throw attempts rate. So he's always been a good free throw percentage shooter, but before the deadline, did it on 3.1 attempts. After the trade deadline, did it on nearly 7 attempts per game as well. He also managed to basically maintain the exact same field goal percentage and efficiency that he did, which was, uh, I guess, my level of concern before or once the trade was announced. But he obviously uh, put that to bed and managed to keep up his insane efficiency. Um, and basically looked like he could be a pretty good number one option. I don't know if moving forward, Brooklyn wants Mikael Bridges to be a number one option. I think he's probably better suited to still being a number two guy, but he definitely has showed and displayed um, a much better ability to uh, perform as that high usage player, score a lot of points, do so efficiently, get to the free throw line a bunch, hit a bunch of threes, so also increases three-point average uh, output to 2.5 per game. The rebounds, assists were pretty much similar. The defensive stats actually took a tiny little step back, but nothing too dramatic for me to think that that's something for us to be super concerned about. It could just be a small sample size thing here. Still had the low turnover rate at 1.8 versus 1.4 before the trade deadline. So I think that Mikael Bridges being the 25th ranked player after the trade deadline is about right for him. So I'd expect him to be someone that we're drafting in the third round of drafts next year. He is still someone that is slightly artificially inflated because of his low turnovers and good percentages. He's he's not a guy that's going to give us huge assist numbers or rebound numbers, those popcorn stats. And the steals, whilst a solid, are not elite. But I still think that he's going to be a guy that we, we're drafting in the uh, mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s, depending on what else shakes out in next redrafts. Um, what is he, 27 years old? So in terms of your dynasty, 26.6 if we're doing decimal ages, He's a guy that in dynasty drafts, I think um, if people are maybe not sold on Mikael Bridges or think that it was a bit of a flash in the pan and that Brooklyn to go out and sign someone big to take over his role, I think that you might be able to get a good buy on your hands. But I would be valuing him as someone around that kind of top 35, top 30 dynasty asset uh, who's just going to give you really consistent uh, production. So Mikael Bridges being a post-trade deadline breakout, I'm calling this one real. Um, I was skeptical about his efficiency, being able to maintain with an increased usage role and being that number one scorer. I didn't know if he could do it, but he definitely went and showed that he can. Um, Brooklyn, obviously, they're not the best team with him in that role, but... I think at least for the next season or the short term, he will definitely thrive and be a great fantasy pick. The next guy here that we're going to talk about is Jalen Williams. And I can't remember if he's, I think he's J-Dub or J-Will. Those nicknames always confuse me. J-Dub, I believe. Uh, but Jalen Williams, the J-A-L-E-N Williams, um, he was the 118th ranked player before the trade deadline and was the 20th, I did not stutter, the 20th ranked player post-trade deadline. And um, this is a huge, huge jump for a rookie who um, obviously we we were very keen on. There was a lot of talk before the trade deadline in, in December, January to go out and get this guy. He was starting to figure it out and get it switched on. But after the trade deadline, really took it to another level. So uh, pre-deadline, he was about 29 minutes. He ramped up to 33 minutes. So a four-minute increase, but just improved across the board. So increased his scoring by six points per game. 
uh, 0.3 extra threes, increases rebounding rate up to 5.3 over 4.1 before the deadline. Uh, assist improved up 1.5 assists to 4.3. Steals are elite in that time, 1.7 versus 1.2 pre-deadline. And uh, the only thing that didn't inc- increase was the blocks. He went from 0.6 to 0.3, but that's fine. We'll forgive him there. The free throw percentage is also a massive improvement. So in pre-dead, uh, pre-deadline, he was 73.7, increased that to 89. 9.1 on nearly four attempts. So this guy is obviously a super young player. He's someone who was drafted last year. He, he was an older rookie, so he's just turned 22 years old. So he's um, not the youngest of rookies, but still young by NBA standards. And the fact that he's putting up top 20 numbers in the post-trade deadline uh, period is in insanely encouraging. A lot of people would point to the fact that Chet Holmgren is going to walk into this team. They're going to also add another draft pick in the offseason um, this year. However, I was a big believer in Jalen Williams before the draft. Probably not to this extent. He's definitely come out and surpassed my expectations. I think OKC also drafted him higher than a lot of people expected, um, but it's absolutely paid off. He's the classic guy that will just, no matter what the lineup is, I think he's going to find his way to 32-plus minutes per night just because he's so versatile. He can play guard, he can play wing, he can play small, uh, like a small power forward type position. So I think regardless of the other pieces in the team, he's going to be able to find his way into minutes. Um, and he's he's going to continue to improve as a three-point shooter. He hasn't really unlocked a huge amount of that just yet, only hitting 1.23s per game. So... Really, if we're looking at Jalen Williams next year, again, pretty similar kind of spot to a Mikael Bridges. I think there might be a little bit more question marks with the inclusion of a couple of more players into this team. And it, it'll all depend on what happens in the offseason with free agency and the draft, of course. But he could be viewed very similarly to a Mikael Bridges. Probably not quite the scorer, but those assists and steals maybe separate him in, in from a Mikael Bridges. But they kind of like brings together the same amount of value in total, if that makes sense. So I kind of view them going in a very similar kind of part of the draft, that third round of the draft. Um, but he has second round potential as early as next season. The steals are his uh, a key. Look, it's always tough to rely on those high-volume steal numbers. They can fluctuate season to season. So I always want to maybe put a little bit of a cap on the expectation there. But the fact that he's just such a good, well-rounded producer and... Um, he is so young and has shown such improvement in such a short amount of time. Really, really encourages me. I think, you know, he's part of their um, big three, you could say, between, or big four, I should say. Shea, Giddy, uh, himself, Jalen Williams, and Chet Holmgren. Those are like the big four pieces that I think they're going to build around. Um, Lou Dort is the other starter there at the moment, but you might see someone else come in and out of that lineup for the starters. So, I think that he is a centerpiece for this team moving forward. His dynasty value could be—he could be a top twenty-five dynasty asset moving forward. He has serious ceiling. He reminds me, stat set-wise, of a bit of a like a Sean Marion or, or that kind of a type. Just someone who contributes across the board. Um, you know, he's obviously got better free throw percentage than Marion had. Uh, well, that second half of the season, at least. So those kind of players are super, super valuable without being like the best players in the league just because their stat set is so friendly to nine cat fantasy. Um, Yeah, just really love what I saw from Jalen Williams and he's never going to get the full defensive attention when you've got players like Shea, Chet, Giddy on the on your team as well. So he can can thrive in a low usage type role and just do all those other things. So really, really like what I see from Jalen Williams. I'm not sure... 
Look, 20th is tough. It really will come down to those steals, but I do see him as easily a top 40 guy next season. Um, probably I would be drafting him in the third round, so before pick 36, at a very early uh, sort of outlook, uh, but definitely someone that you should be paying attention to because his uh, rankings for the season, if I have a look at his seasonal rankings, he ranked 68th for the season, but that's definitely not encapsulating what he did after the trade deadline and his minutes, it, it, an improvement um, took place. So he is someone who could be had at a discount in drafts next year, depending on where he's being drafted. The next guy here that we're going to talk about Another rookie is the big man, uh, Walker Kessler. Now, this guy is a little bit more obvious, a little bit more uh, mainstream here. Obviously, pre-trade deadline, he was the 79th ranked player. Post-trade deadline, he was the 22nd ranked player. And his value comes down to maybe two or three categories. It's rebounds, it's field goal percentage, and it's blocks. Um, Just the classic big man stats. I'm a little bit less... Um, bullish on a player like Walker Kessler than I am with Jalen Williams. I just think that he is not as solidified as like a moving forward starter in the NBA as someone like a Jalen Williams uh, because he is limited in terms of what he actually offers the Utah Jazz, the the actual basketball team. They're also going to be a team that has a high lottery pick. So do they draft a big man and do they go a bit more small more often than not. There's a few more question marks around his role in the team, but what we do know is when this guy gets minutes, he's going to produce. So you see on the screen there, if you're watching along on YouTube, the minutes increasing from 20.6 minutes in the pre-trade deadline up to 29 minutes in the post-trade deadline. So 29 minutes and he's posting a 22nd round, uh, 22nd ranked uh, nine category value. That's all you really need to know. It's it's Robert Williams-ish in the way that it's low scoring. There's no threes. There's no steals. There's hardly any assists either. Um, it's really concentrated in those three big categories. 73.5% field goal, 10.8 rebounds, and three blocks per game. It's... um. So if you're punting any one of those categories, his value will change very dramatically. Know what it is you're signing up for. So for me, he is probably more of that like fourth round maybe fifth round, depending on how the offseason shakes out. I, I probably wouldn't go as high as some of these other guys we've spoken about. Um, and I fear that potentially he might be one, um, maybe not from Mikael Bridges, but he want, might be the one that's hyped more than a Jalen Williams. But again, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. 59th for this season last year. So we'll see how it all shakes out in, this, in the offseason coming into tw- uh, season 23-24. But he is definitely someone that did improve. And it was basically through that opportunity. Increase in minutes, saw all of his uh, stats go up and uh, we didn't see a dip in efficiency. In fact, he got more efficient. And when you're shooting over 70% from the field, that's going to be a big boost to that category. So um, pretty classic big man stats. I just would caution dynasty owners as well as people going to next season just about how much he impacts the actual team and how much Utah values him as like a cornerstone defensive center moving forward and what that does to his minutes and availability moving forward as well. We'll have to see what they do in the draft. Let's move on to another guy who I was very keen on and I have a few stocks of him in Dynasty Leagues and that is Trey Murphy who, look, we took a bit of a flyer on him at the end of last season and um, he just kind of kept going the whole season round. Obviously, injuries to Zion definitely helped him. But he just seemed to go from strength to strength. So pre-deadline, he was ranked 66th uh, on a nine-category setting. And post-trade deadline, he was top 30 at 28th per game. Um, 
the biggest thing here, obviously, he's gone from 29.4 minutes to 34.2 minutes. So an increase of about five minutes per game, which saw his scoring go from um, 13 points per game to 17.5. He had an increase of one three per game, so from 2.2 to 3.2, um, which were probably the biggest things. The steals went from 1 to 1.3. The blocks went from 0.5 to 0.7. And the turnover stayed the exact same with field goal percentage and free throw percentage staying at very good levels, with the free throw rate also increasing from 2 attempts per game to 3.3 attempts per game. And when you're shooting close to 90%, any small increase in attempts at that is a big deal when it comes to your value. So... The question mark for Trey Murphy is what's going on with Zion Williamson. Um, is it a matter of him coming in or Zion coming back in and then uh, Trey Murphy taking a hit to his value? I think that he could see a hit to usage with a Zion coming in, but I think that the minutes are pretty safe. I do believe that his value to the team is higher than that of like a Herb Jones, for example. Now, Herb Jones is a better defender. Slightly. I mean, Trey Murphy's a really good defender. He's long and he's um, switchable and he can he can do a lot of the things that Herb can do, but Herb just does it at a ridiculous level. But he's leaps and bounds a better offensive player, better floor spacer than a Herb Jones. So in my opinion, I think he's going to get the priority over a Herb. I also believe he's younger than a Herb Jones as well, uh, still younger than 23 years old. So... Um, I wouldn't be worried about the minutes. I think potentially you could see the usage come down, which may affect his points a little bit more. So again, 28th post-trade deadline. I probably would take a little bit of a haircut. He probably is a guy, again, kind of like a Desmond Bain of this past season. I always am skeptical about those super ultra-efficient three-point shooters that don't contribute much in assists. Um, I'm not too sure how realistic the 1.3 steals are, but... It's okay. He's buoyed his value by low turnovers. So I think he's probably a guy that we're maybe drafting in the 40s, late 40s, early 50s. It's probably about where I foresee him going. Um, again, lots to come through the wash there. But he is someone that could easily post top 50 value for next season because uh, I do think that those minutes are pretty safe moving forward. So someone who I really like in... Um, in Dynasty Leagues, I don't think he's got any star potential or anything like that. He's going to be just a really good, solid role player who's going to provide top 60 numbers for uh, a few years to come now. So I think that is what we can expect from Trey Murphy. Let's move on to the next guy here. Another guy, this guy did get, uh, well, sorry, didn't get traded, but had a teammate traded, and that is Zach Collins, who's a sometimes a bit of a forgotten man in fantasy circles. We obviously, uh, he was one of the big winners of the trade deadline. He definitely was someone we uh, recommended going out and grabbing. Uh, but pre-deadline, 224th, really off the map in terms of standard leagues. And then post-deadline, shot all the way up to 43rd, which is actually pretty ridiculous. Top 50 Post-deadline numbers, um, obviously the minutes jumped up a whole bunch, so from 20.3 minutes to 28.8 minutes, so increase of about nearly nine minutes per game there, which saw all of his stats basically increase. So uh, went from 9.5 points to 16.5, 0.53s to 1.6, 5.7 rebounds to 8 rebounds. The assists also jumped heaps, 2.4 to 3.8, 0.4 steals to 1.1 steals, and 0.7 blocks to 1.1 blocks as well. So um, his percentages took a little bit of a dive. So the field goal percentage dropped from 59% down to 49%. 
after the increase in usage, uh, but his free throw percentage improved. So he went from 74% to 80% on a similar amount of attempts. Now, this kind of guy is, um, again, the Spurs very much up in the air. Like if they land Victor Wembanyama, then say bye-bye to Zach Collins' uh, top 50 numbers. So very much in flux, but just wanted to flag him that if he does see an increased role going into next season, similar to what he does there in the mid to high 20s, he is someone that could provide a sort of top 60, top 75 numbers at worst. Um He's still young. Like, he is still a guy that is improving. He's had some pretty bad injuries. So, um, just even getting that consistency in playing time and um, games under his belt, he's still only 25 years old. So, he still has room to improve. And I think that he is someone that, you know, uh, kind of like that classic white guy in the NBA. He does a lot of good things, threes, assists. Um, He does also have the steals and blocks in his game, well-rounded in that regard, good free throw percentage shooter. So there's really fantasy-friendly bigs that we like to see. Um, Look, I don't think that if the Spurs are going to improve next year, you're going to see more games from Devin Vassell. You're going to have a high draft pick coming to the side. He's going to be down the order. So by no means am I suggesting that he's going to be a breakout player by any stretch. But um, just remember that he can provide good, well-rounded stats in you know minutes in the mid to high 20s. So... Again, very hard now that we're getting a bit further down the list to project where he's going to go on draft day, but he could be a sort of a guy that maybe goes in that sort of mid-round discussion, uh, 60 to 75, if he remains sort of a starting level kind of player for the Spurs. So uh, we'll have to wait and see if Victor Wembanyama does make his way to San Antonio. Uh, Obviously, that will change the landscape of any team that he goes to. But Zach Collins is definitely someone that, if he gets the role, can provide us some pretty solid stats. Next one here, we've got two more uh, breakouts after the deadline. This is one of my personal favorites, Emmanuel Quickly. Now, I've been a big Quickly fan um, for a couple of years now, and we've seen this twice in a row. I think the same thing happened the season before, where he had uh, big numbers to end the season. When he gets those starters uh, minutes, he is someone that can put up uh, some really good numbers. So, he... He did, I think, benefit from uh, players like Jalen Brunson missing time. He, he's he been in and out of the starting lineup, sometimes playing that sixth man, sometimes being that sort of fifth starter. Uh, Post-All-Star break, he's gone on to do uh, top 60 numbers, ranked 58th, sorry, ranked 45th uh, post-All-Star break. Pre-trade uh, deadline, he was 145th. So a 100-spot increase. It's coming on the back of improved efficiency, improved usage. So he's gone from... Uh, 43% field goal to 47.5% field goal. He's also getting to line a lot more, 4.3 attempts versus 2.5 attempts. He's doing it in just an extra three minutes per game or an extra 3.4 minutes per game. So it's not a huge increase in minutes, but it's that increased trust from like a Tom Thibodeau to, to get more of the ball. He's scoring at a better, more efficient clip. The threes increased from 1.7 to 2.9. The assists rose as well from 3.2 to 4. And, and everything just got a little bit better. Now, a reminder that Emmanuel Quickly still quite a young player. He's less than he's younger than twenty four years old. Um, it's what what year is it? It's his, it was his third year in the NBA, so he's going to go into his fourth year. You know, fourth year breakouts for the uh, the uh, young players in the league. I still think that he is a guy that can definitely be a starter in the NBA. At worst, he's a six man on a really good team. Um, so he's. 
Look, I don't know if I see the high 40s in terms of field goal percentage. Maybe he's more of like that mid-40s guy, 45, 46, rather than a 48%. But the points, the threes, the, the assists, I think the good free throw percentage on decent volume. Um, he's not going to go that's going to kill you with turnovers. If you're punting blocks or if you're you know punting rebounds or something like that, he is definitely a guy that can help you out. Um, I really like him in Dynasty Leagues because I think um, there's only a matter of time before... People realize that RJ Barrett is maybe not the future in New York or anywhere else, or even if quickly finds himself on another team, I really like him. It'd be interesting to see where he lines up in terms of if he's starting next year uh, over someone like a um, like an RJ Barrett or something like that moving forward. Because I, I look, if it was if I was the coach, I'd probably I'd probably do that and pull that trigger right now. Uh, but obviously, we know that. Um, that has yet to happen, but he is someone that I think when given the opportunity, he can really thrive. And I think at worst, he's a six man next year and can put up top 80, top 75 numbers. So, uh, well, I shouldn't say at worst, but I, I would expect around that top 80 sort of range, depending on his role, um, with the potential to be doing top 60 numbers if he becomes a starter with those minutes in the, uh, the mid to low 30s. And uh, the last guy in terms of the breakouts, his teammate... Uh, for the second half of the season. Josh Hart moved from Portland over to New York. He did actually... This is one of the weirdest ones in terms of the breakout. He's gone from the 104th ranked player pre-deadline to 58th uh, post-trade deadline, and he's actually done that on fewer minutes. So he's actually dropped 3.4 minutes from 33.4 to 30 minutes per game, but he's still improved or doubled his value. So the increase in values come from an extra 8 point uh, 2% field goal percentage. His free throws has also jumped up another 5%. Um, he's also getting his, getting you more steals, so from 1.1 steals to 1.4 steals. Um, he's shooting more threes as well, which is a big thing that we want to highlight for Josh Hart, so from 0.7 threes to 1.1. The points are basically the same, 9.5 to 10.2. That's not a big difference there. He's still getting his big rebound numbers, which is good, but... This one here I'm a little bit skeptical on. So obviously the biggest thing that's happened here is the efficiency. So I actually think this one is maybe one we don't get too excited about. I think he's probably still going to be that guy around that 100 mark. I do like the fact that he's he's still getting 30 minutes in a reserve role. So he's obviously very important and I expect that to probably continue. Um, and we do love the stuff that he does provide us in terms of those uh, rebounds, assists, the decent steals. He is uh, an efficient guy, but... 50, nearly 59% uh, from a wing player is is very difficult to replicate. And um, if we see that drop, you know, the threes come down, the points come down, the field goal percentage comes down. It affects a lot when you're around that kind of level of value. So post-deadline of 58th ranking, I think is a little bit misleading for a player like Josh Hart. I would still value him more close to that rank 100. But it is good to see that despite uh, a slight loss in minutes and a move from a starter to a bench role, he's still able to provide us uh, 12-team and 10-team league values. So uh, that is Josh Hart there. Let's move on now. So we're going to go through some fallers. Now, some of these guys, obviously, we need to be mindful of short, small sample size, and we're going to go through a few of these guys. And and the last guy on this list here is actually very interesting, and I was a bit surprised when doing this research, the difference between his uh, post-trade uh, deadline and pre-trade deadline numbers. So, But we'll start off with a guy who, um, you know, it was a bit of... We weren't too sure where to draft him in the preseason. Uh, obviously, he had the, the the move over to Atlanta. Um, but DeJounte Murray, before the trade deadline, 
26th ranked player. It was about where I was hoping he would be. Uh, you know, you remember he's only a 0.3 blocks. So if you punt the blocks category, he's doing a lot better than this. But um, was 86 after the trade deadline. So and, and all it really was is that he's gone from 1.6 steals per game to 1.3, and he's also gone from. Well, that, actually, that's basically it, really. So he's gone and 6.3 assists to 5.6. Small drop there. Uh, little drop in points. It dropped two points per game from 21 to 19. The threes dropped from 2.1 to 1.2. So a few little trimmings around the edge there. Just kind of faded him back a little bit. So I think this is maybe a bit misleading. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the 86th-ranked player moving forward. I think potentially we're looking at a guy who's maybe like in the 30s uh, moving forward, just as that... We just don't want to rely on those elite steal numbers. Now, he was averaging over two steals per game, I think, the season prior. So, obviously, this season, he's dropped that a little bit. So, he has a room for that to come back up. But I don't want to necessarily be relying on that. So, for me, he's a kind of a guy that's definitely a third-slash-fourth rounder. So, in the you know early to mid-30s kind of a guy that I'd be trying to look to draft. Like, the rebounds, the assists, the steals, the points, the solid percentages are all still very valuable, and he is still a young player, so um, someone who's 26 years old. So by no means is he aging out of his prime or anything like that. Uh, he's just someone that, obviously, playing next to Trey, uh, uh, Trey Young is something that you're going to have to adjust to. And... Um, you know, they started to play some more lineups. Obviously, changing coach is another thing that we need to keep in mind as well. So perhaps they took the ball out of his hands a little bit more. So the the pre-deadline 26 is maybe like his ceiling um, with like a little bit of room to drop from there. So I probably wouldn't be drafting him before then by any stretch. Uh, but I do see him more as that like 26th versus 86th. Uh, but it's probably a little bit further down in the 30s for me moving forward to him. But... I'm not too concerned about a Jamal, uh, sorry, a Dejounte Murray. Another guy here who maybe was a little bit overhyped going into drafts last year. He was getting drafted in the second rounds in a lot of spots, but Anthony Edwards uh, was 33rd before the trade deadline, so not too bad. Obviously, a little bit more disappointing than what we expected, but still pretty solid. Um, but after the trade deadline, dropped down to 78th. Now. A lot of you might be thinking, okay, yeah, Carlton Towns was injured for a lot and then he came back. They actually, they actually only shared the court after that trade deadline for eight games. So these numbers are by no means actually affected too much about Carlton Towns missing time and then coming back and, and doing that. A lot of this stuff post-trade deadline was done without Carlton uh, Towns. So the, the really the only change here is the uh, big drop in free throw percentage. So he's gone from nearly 77% on 5.5 attempts down to 72%. Um, so you're nearly that average to well below average at 72%. And when you're doing it over five attempts per game, that is a significant uh, hindrance to your value. Again, 1.7 steals to 1.4 steals. We know that swings categories a fair bit. But other than that, you know, he's still averaging over 24 points, over four assists. Um, you know, the, the blocks uh, are actually higher post-trade deadlines, actually averaging over a block post-trade deadline. Uh, the field goal percentage took a little bit of a dip as well, but... Again, Anthony Edwards is one of those guys that if we're looking at the steals category and how much that boosts his value, it will 
uh, it will make things a little bit harder to project moving forward. So I would always be careful in terms of projecting those deals to stay up around that elite level of 1.7, 1.6 kind of a mark. Maybe he's more of a 1.4 kind of a guy and, and we use that as a safe projection moving forward. But I do think that another year, it's becoming more and more obvious, like the more you watch these guys in the playoffs, that Anthony Edwards is the future. I feel like I was high on the Rudy Gobert trade, but after seeing it playing out this season, I can admit that I think that it might have been a mistake I think they need to build around uh, Anthony Edwards, who's clearly their best player, one of the best players moving forward. I do think that he's going to eventually be a superstar in this league and a superstar when it comes to fantasy. It's just about when is that going to happen? Is it going to be next year? I think that we might start off the year again a little bit slower around that sort of 30s, 40s kind of a mark, but you could eventually see him move into that top 20 I just don't know if I could pull the trigger on drafting him there yet, but he definitely has the potential. Um, It's just about timing when that is the case. So for Dynasty Leagues, I'm not discouraged at all. I think he's going to still be the superstar that we've projected him to do, but it's just about for redraft leagues for next season, how quickly are we going to jump into the deep end with Anthony Edwards? Another young player as we move on to another faller here, Darius Garland. And this is another interesting one, kind of similar to Anthony Edwards' story. It's um, it's just a few things that have fallen back for Darius Garland. So 34th uh, pre-trade deadline, which is about where we he, we were drafting him. Um, and then post-trade deadline dropped all the way to 97th. Um, and again, it's on the same amount of minutes per game. Uh, he's dropped maybe at one and a half points, which is not too much, half a three. Uh, the assists uh, maybe come back, maybe by nearly one per game. The, the biggest thing here is that the free throw attempt rate dropped. Okay, so he's gone from five attempts to four attempts. Um, and that's pretty much it. Just a few little things that have scaled back from there. To me, I don't put any stock into the ranking when it comes to Darius Garland. I think that this is a case of small sample size. Other things happening around him that has moved him around. I think that Darius Garland's going to be fine moving forward and... I think he's someone you could safely draft in the 30s next season. So for this one, I think this is one of the most fake in terms of rankings that we've seen so far. Um, 97th with just a slight drop in free throw percentage and free throw attempt rate. A little tiny hit in points and threes and assists. Look, I still think that Darius Garland is going to be doing Darius Garland things. So this, um, you know, if you ever see this in, in other rankings or stuff out there or hear people talking about it, I just think that I'd be taking this stat with a very big grain of salt because um, yeah, I just think that you're getting the same thing essentially that you got pre-deadline and this is just highlighting the fact that sometimes rankings can be very fickle and to not trust in them completely. The next guy here is uh, one of my favorite punching bags, or was one of my favorite punching bags in the preseason last year and I, I must admit I probably went a bit too early in the demise of Tobias Harris but it's, it still shows, again, kind of similar to what I thought was going to happen, probably not to the extent that I thought it was going to happen uh, in these uh, pre- and post-deadline stats. Pre-deadline, he was 45th. Post-deadline, he was 77th. Um, to, to his credit, that's better than I thought he was going to be. This is actually a better split than what he had the year before. And the year before, I think he was outside the top 100 in that post-trade deadline, which coincided with James Harden coming to the team. So... He's done all right to sort of basically reproduce what he did last year slightly more efficiently uh, with an increase in some of his steals. Uh, The steals are the biggest thing here. So one steal per game pre-deadline and 0.6 steals post-deadline. He's never been someone that's averaged over a steal basically uh, in his entire career. Uh, Let me just confirm that. So yeah, his most, his closest he's got was 2020-21 where he averaged 0.9 steals, uh, 0.6 
last season, 0.7 in 1920. So he's definitely closer to me in my eyes as that post-trade deadline guy who was 77th um, per game. I just... um, He's just, in terms of especially head-to-head, which is a lot of what I do, he's kind of that guy that I just think is extremely boring and replaceable. So he doesn't do any one thing exceptionally well. He's definitely better, in my opinion, as a roto guy who's just solid across the board, good percentages. The field goal and free throw percentages is very good. Uh, low turnovers. But he just doesn't do any one thing super well, which is hard to value super highly in a head-to-head format. So in that format, I'm probably still going to be ranking him, again, close to that 190s kind of a mark. But uh, he did prove me wrong to a certain extent last year, but uh, not enough, not, not by enough to make me reconsider my ranking of him next year. I think it'll be pretty similar to me uh, and how I view him. We've got one more, and this one here was probably the most surprising to me, and um, just want to yeah spend a little bit of time talking about this man and his future, especially from a dynasty point of view. And that is the uh, Alperen Sengun, the Turkish MVP. Um, now, this is an interesting one because he he's a guy, again, similar to someone like a Josh Hart, but the inverse, where he got an increase in minutes and saw his production actually drop. So pre-deadline... He was 63rd ranked in nine category leagues, and post deadline he was as low as 120th, which is um, quite surprising. His efficiency really fell off. It's the biggest reason as to why he fell a lot in the rankings. So, 57% field goal percentage pre deadline, 52% post deadline, and the free throw percentage is another big one: 74% to 64%. So. That's a big. That's a big change. So obviously, five percent in the field goal percentage, ten percent on the free throw percentage decrease. That's going to dramatically reduce your rankings. Now, why is that? Is he tired? Is it something that uh, you know? Just by the end of the season, young player like, and he's still. I think he's what is he? He's less than twenty years old. Sorry, he's he's less than twenty one. Twenty point seven. If you're going by decimal age, so extremely extremely young still. He's going to be younger than some of the rookies drafted this year, um, but. It is something that, obviously, we've seen him play that 30-minute-per-night role and still has the capability to be ranked outside the top 100. It does put a little bit of a, a halt on my enthusiasm for Alper and Shengun. I, I've been someone who's been very bullish on his capabilities moving forward. Uh, they're going to be looking for a new coach in the offseason. Hopefully, that helps him out and helps out their defensive identity, which... Look, he's never going to be an excellent defender, but I still hold out hope that he's going to be an okay defender. And if they have better schemes around him and and don't get you know the guards don't get beaten off the dribble, he's not going to be asked to do as much. Um, he's never going to be a rim protector per se, but he can still get you know at least a block per game. Um, so, in terms of dynasty, look, he was trending towards sort of like that top twenty-five kind of a guy, I think. I'm I'm readjusting my thoughts and maybe still having him around that 30s, uh, mid-30s kind of a ranking because there is still that slight risk that, again, it's hard. We haven't had the draft, but say like a Victor Weminyaba comes in, of course, everything changes. But there is still that risk that the Rockets still opt to go for a more traditional shot-blocking, mobile center, uh, vertical lob threat, which we know that they've experimented with in the past. But... There is also the flip side where, obviously, new coach, you might cater more of the offense around him. He has a very wide range of outcomes, which does scare me a little bit when I'm talking about Dynasty. Um, look, the, the, the counting number's obviously there. Um, you know, even post-deadline in that 120th ranked, uh, you know, 
period. He's putting out nearly 13.5 points, 9.6 rebounds, over 4 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.8 blocks. So basically one steal, one block, 4 assists, nearly 10 rebounds, and you know basically 14 points per game. That's still really solid. Like that is that's pretty decent there. And I think he has room to improve the points. He has room to improve the three point shooting. He has room to improve the assists if the offense runs through him more. Um, and if that free throw percentage in particular can at least get to sort of and hover and stay around that mid seventies mark, it's not a huge drag to his value, then we can definitely see the top thirty five, top forty uh upper end Shingun that we know is in there. Um Let's just cross our fingers as Alperen Shangun uh, stockholders uh, that he is able to do that and he's not being um, you know, taken off the floor because he is not necessarily your typical defensive anchor for an NBA team. So I thought that one was really interesting. We would expect that, obviously, with more time, a player would improve. And as a young player, further into the season, uh, when they're doing more silly stuff, that he would improve. So a little bit of a concerning sign for Shengun. Um, like I said, his range of outcomes is still very wide. He could still hit that top-end range where he is that perennial top 20 player. But there is that risk that it it, it doesn't work out with Shengun in terms of his archetype and, and the way that teams choose to utilize that center position. It's it's not typically a player like him. Um, you know, a Sabonis, a Jokic kind of have become good enough that they've made it work around them. Um, Shengun definitely has the possibility to be in with those guys, maybe even better than a player like Sabonis. Um, probably not a Jokic level, but um, he has that capability to be like that Sabonis type, but it's not a certainty moving forward. So there is still that little bit of a risk there. So again, he could be a sell high in some leagues and a buy low in others, depending on what the owner thinks about him. Um, but I'll be very interested to see where he's going in drafts next season for redraft leagues. And it will obviously depend on what they do with the coach, what they do with the draft and any free agent moves they make as well. So always a very interesting prospect for us to look at. All right, well, that will do it for us today, guys. Let us know what your thoughts are on any of those um, breakouts or fallers after the trade deadline uh, this past season. And let me know before we reveal the top 25, which is going to be our next video, our next podcast, who would you have as your top 25 dynasty rankings and where would you draft Victor Wembanyama? I will be revealing him in this next video. So there's a small hint. He will be top 25. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but where would you be willing to draft if you were doing a startup dynasty league draft right now? Where would you draft Victor Wembanyama? I have a feeling he's going to be going very, very high, both in dynasty and redraft leagues, uh, he is going to absolutely transform the NBA moving forward. It is very exciting. So let us know where you would draft him. Let us know your top 25 dynasty rankings down below. If you have any questions, drop them in the comment section. Like the video, subscribe, and we'll see you guys next time. Laters. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.